Ah. Ah. I just turned my uh, video. Oh, look at you. I should turn on my video. Wait, wait. Ah, ah. Oh, my hair's all standing up. Look, this is a totally different kind of podcast. This is really oh, hey, weird. Hey. <laughs> we should... We I, we should uh, we should do one of these one time. Oh, I went away. Did I, I? Can you still see me? Yeah, I can still see you. Weird. Um, I, oh, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop the video. Okay. I, f- I feel like because who knows? Who knows what I'm gonna be? What I'm gonna be doing? But, what I'm but, gonna be wearing? But you have like important stuff on the board behind you. I, I do. It's uh, it, it is a sign uh, that uh, Danny made a uh, custom sign for someone who wanted it. Um. Uh, portrait, not uh, landscape. So we inherited it, and it was lyrics to a song I do not know. How about that? Um, yeah, don't you worry there, my honey. We might not have any money, but we've got our love to pay the bills. I think that's a country song. <laughs> it, it's, you know, funny? It's not. Uh, don't worry, honey. I don't know. All right, so song. we should, uh, we should, I should hang up and we, we should try just, this again? No, 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 I think we can just turn off the video. Oh, wow. All right. Stop video. My video's off. There you go. My oh video's my off. Look at oh. that. Wow. That's... There you go. Just smooth transition. Whoo. Oh, how did that, how did that happen? Um, I just hit the wrong button when you were calling. I think you did. It's weird. Ingrid Michelson is who sings that song. Okay. And it's called You and I. It does not sound like a country singer's name. No, no. It's, uh, it's called You and I. Uh, let's see how this goes. Uh. I don't know how I, I actually listened to it one time, um, and then I it's like a pop it's like a pop poppy kind of song. Mm. Oh, you can probably hear that. Can you hear that? Vaguely, it sounds like somebody uh, shaking a tin can. Oh, here it is. This is it. Oh, I'm sure we're gonna have to pay uh, uh, rights to this. Don't you worry, See, nice. <laughs> Uh, this is a totally to entire music safety it, podcast, Doc. Yeah, it's, a t- it's an entirely different podcast today already. Just like we, you know what? That is the mantra of food safety talk, right? Like, what's that? It, it's it's a different podcast every time. <laughs> it's literally, it is literally a different podcast every time. Every time we've never done the same we have, podcast. We have never twice. done. It's like a river, Ben. It's it's all you never step in the same river twice. <laughs> that's right. Wow. I, I'm sure that's that, that you are telling me something that is from a cliche that I don't know. Or a, a, I think a, that's a, a Zen saying. koan, Ben. A Zen koan. Oh, gosh. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Um, so, so here we are. It's, uh, um, it, we're, we're in December. This is no, we're no longer in the fall. Well, I guess maybe we are, but it feels like winter. Yeah, not till uh, the 21st will it be officially winter. Oh, it feels like winter dawn. I was in Roanoke, Virginia yesterday, and and at one point there was like a mist of flurry type um, uh, weather precipitation, which made me uh, um, made me realize that I needed to get back to North Carolina. I'm sure there's a song on that too. It's probably a James Taylor song. Um, we were I was at a I was at a hockey tournament uh with my with my kids and then we had to drive into the roanoke's in the mountains it's beautiful have you ever been there i think i have um but i'm not sure hey hey so i'm i'm getting some audio artifacts so i'm gonna go (laughs) ahead and uh change my network preferences and i'm gonna turn off wi-fi um but i'm okay i should still work because i'll still be on thunderbolt are you still there i'm still here all right cool rocking the thunderbolt today i'm still here it's um 
Uh, does it? Do you? Are you still getting the uh, artifacts? Yeah, but that, that's just probably your problem. So it's fine. It, it is. It is my problem, and I, I think I know what it is. I'm going to have to uh, send a quick text max- message to my wife. Oh, because she's she downloading is... videos. No, no. I, um, she's sanding something in the garage right below me. And that, and <laughs> Which... that takes that takes a lot of bandwidth. Well, I think it's it has to. It's not bandwidth. It like messes with the, um, uh, I don't know something, like I don't know what it. it, it I it, it's I've I've had some trouble with this before. Are we still? Or is it better? Or is it worse? Is it the same? It's about the same. Yeah, I think it's. But don't I think stop it's her the from standing, Ben. She's she's earning more money right now than you apparently. Oh, she really is. She's uh, she's really good at this uh, at this art stuff. Um, she, uh, she makes these signs from reclaimed wood and paints on them and then sands them and then, uh, sells them at, uh, uh places all, all throughout, uh, North Carolina. Uh, so, and sometimes and she this, even puts song lyrics on them, um, but has the orientation it, incorrect. Incorrect. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was not her, uh, um, doing of having the orientation incorrect. It was sent incorrect. The person thought they meant, uh, when they, when they wrote, uh, 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 landscape. They thought it meant portrait. Well, I sometimes I get horizontal and vertical messed up. I never mess up landscape and portrait because it's right in the name, Ben. <laughs> right there. I know. I hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so this might be an interesting podcast with a uh, with a bunch of sanding going on. Mm. But I think that I think the sanding has ended. Okay. Well, there you go. So uh, so there you go. So hey, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was, I was, I was, was, was going to, I was going to explain while I was late. Oh yeah. Tell me. So we used to have, uh, a, um, a dining facility in this building and they closed it when they opened the new building next door with, uh, what we called for the longest time, the healthy eating cafe, which is actually has the name of harvest and, you know, and, and it's, it's pretty good. Uh, and they have overpriced, uh, not very good coffee there. Yeah. Um, and I was going to go there. Wall. Stuff. And quinoa, yes, and quinoa, and quinoa. Um, <laughs> and so I was going over there to get my coffee. And so I came back to the department about qu- – this, this is fascinating for the listeners. They want to know all this, I know. Um, came back to the department from a short course about 45 minutes before the podcast was supposed to start. I said, you know, I could get my coffee now, but then I might drink it and I won't be – I want my caffeination level to peak at the right level in the podcast. You know, we, we – carefully titrate our caffeine levels to give an optimum show to, to the audience, to the listeners. It's true. Um, and so I put it off and I said, you know, I got, I can do it 15 minutes before the podcast. Well, 15 minutes before the podcast, I go to uh, walk there and I see that all of the lovely people that work in Harvest are standing outside the building. <laughs> and oh, I immediately think convenient. to myself, this, well, this does not bode well because if they're outside and the coffee is inside and the, and the cash register where you pay for it is inside, um, uh, that could be a problem. Uh, it turns out that um, – and you'll never believe this, Ben. They have uh, smoke detectors in their kitchen, actually heat detectors in their kitchen. Um, and sometimes it gets hot in their kitchen and sets off the heat detectors. And then and then the fire alarm goes off and then they have to go outside. Um, is this a reoccurring theme for them? Did you did you yeah. have a conversation with them? It's the, I, was I, was, like a... I was talking with the head chef because, uh, you know, I mean we're buddies, right? Yeah. Of course, um, and he explained that it, it it's just bad uh, bad design. So um, so I uh, I decided then to walk a little further away to get my coffee, um, which took a little bit longer. 
And then it turns out by the time I got back, I could have just stayed in one place and I would have got in and got out and probably been back in the same amount of time. But I got some exercise. I got some different uh, coffee that's not very good um, but not as overpriced. Um, and so uh, I'm happy. Well, that's good. I, I've got my uh, – uh, fired up my AeroPress. I'm, I, as you could see with the uh, brief vid- video, I am uh, uh, podcasting or casting or podding, whatever they might they might call it on the internets, uh, from home. Uh, after uh, uh, a, a busy week of uh, being in my office last week for a bunch of things and then being away this weekend, I, uh, I made a, a decision saying, you know what, I think I will uh, not put pants on and uh, spend my day in my in my home office. Um, and what was awesome about that is I got to have lunch with, with my lovely wife. Um, and, uh, and then I made myself uh, an AeroPress uh, coffee just to tap that against the uh, microphone there this is uh, a special blend from a uh, a proprietary unique blend from a coffee shop that I uh, that I shop at uh, that I that I coffee at named uh, named Sola so you can buy their uh, pre uh, mixed grind uh, not whole beans but it's like a special blend that their uh, supplier puts together for them and so I, I purchased those and now I'm, I'm drinking some fantastic uh, fantastically strong aeropress stuff well that's that's uh, we did kind of a switch them up uh, we did today because I'm at work because I've got a short course uh, that I had to be at uh, I wasn't teaching but I had to introduce the uh, the, the speaker and uh, yeah so I'm here and you're home and it's a little bit weird oh but in in important uh, coffee brewing news I don't know if I I, sh- I think I shared with you I got a, a bean grinder yes but I yes, don't I, I don't know if I shared with you that um, within a couple of days of, of getting it, of purchasing it, um, uh, my wife said, hey, I should learn how to grind some beans so I could you know, make your coffee for you in case you were busy. And I explained, okay, so you put the beans in here and then you turn this lever. And she says, oh, you mean you turn this lever this way? And she cranked the timer lever exactly the wrong direction. Oh, and, no. she, and she broke it. <laughs> so, so you don't have a bean grinder anymore? Well, I have I have a bean grinder, uh, but it just doesn't have a timer. Oh. And so what that means is that it's just stuck in the permanent on position. So you have to unplug it and plug it back in? That's how, that's how I grind the beans. If I want to grind the beans, I, I, I load the beans up. I plug it in. It starts. Uh, when the beans are done grinding, I unplug it, and there you go. So That's not so bad. It's that's... not so bad, but here's the thing, Ben. It, it irritates me. It irritates yeah, well, me. I can and, see that. And so Your life... I, you life hacked it, though. I did. Well, here's the thing. Um, there's this thing, Ben. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's called Google. I, I and, know that. And yeah. you can type stuff in like my my coffee grinder um, timer button is stuck. How do I fix it? Uh, or something to that effect. And I found a fix-it video on the company's website. And uh, step number one is order a uh, a a timer lever replacement kit. So I did that and it's coming. It's being shipped. And so when it comes, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the video and I'm going to fix my coffee grinder. Um, which is, I'm really excited about this, Ben. That's amazing. I have, uh, uh, I've just generated uh, a link for you that I'm going to text to you. I think you'll, <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Let me Google that and, for you. 
pilot. It's it's from uh, a, a website that I don't know if we've talked about, but I, I've shared with you over uh, text before called LMGTFY. Yes. Or uh, uh, if we uh, expand that, the uh, let me Google that for you, which I have at least one uh, – friend uh in in the world of hockey um steve hoffman i mean shout out to a guy i play hockey with steve hoffman who does not listen to the show uh who whom almost every time someone asks a question on our email chain around what time we play at hockey where if someone knows something (laughs) he responds with a link of let me google that for you uh which i like which which never gets old for me i think it's the most hilarious joke Oh, it's the best. Uh, it's I, I've stopped doing it because it's kind of a it's kind of a dick move, but a, move, <laughs> a little but, bit. But but you know, I occasionally when I, when I'm feeling particularly uh, old and crotchety or or young and crotchety, uh, I will I will do that. And it's uh, yes. <laughs> oh, and if you go to the website, it's great. It says doctors hate this trick. You won't believe what happens next. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's so hi, let me Google that for you. Uh, highly recommended website. Um, yeah. Yes. One one of the best out there. It's a good one. Um, so, uh, hey, I know you love the world of British television shows. I do. And I, I don't – I can't think that we have talked about this. Uh, I'm pretty sure. But I've, I have consumed uh, seven episodes of The Crown since oh, Thanksgiving yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. You've talked about this. Have I talked about it already? Yeah, you have, I think. Oh my gosh! Anyway, it's great. maybe I told. Did I tell you in person? I don't know. Anyway, we're. I still love the show. It's really good. Yeah, I, or maybe somebody else was talking about it. But anyway, I, I think I think I've heard good things about it. So yeah, check it out. It's on. It's on the Netflix, and uh, it, it's in our. It's in high rotation right now, or not high high consumption. Um, we uh, yeah we we watch. It's one of the like. Yeah, I mean it's it's like Downton Abbey where um, it, it's I, I find it difficult to binge watch it. Um, like there's a lot to pay attention to. So, so we're watching like one, one episode a night, uh, kind of thing. Uh, and it was, it was good for when, uh, my parents are here cause they also like, uh, the, the British shows. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, we watched, watched a couple episodes together. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. We've been, we've been watching the Gilmore girls uh, and I think, uh, that's pretty good. Although somewhat disappointing. Uh, did you, are, are you, are you watching it and did you watch the original? No, I did not watch the original. Um, I, I, I put it in the same category as, um, Dawson's Creek and huh? One, huh? One Tree Hill of shows that, that lots of people who, who I know and like their tastes mm. watched. Mm. Um, but I, I cannot, uh, I've, I've tried to get into all of them and I just, I, it hasn't, hasn't grabbed me. Hasn't, uh, has it, has, I have not been able to get into it. Yeah, well, the original series is quite good. Highly recommended. Um, lots of great pop culture, lots of great pop culture references, and uh, just really good. This, <coughs> excuse me, this, <coughs> this, uh, this not a reboot, but this, uh, uh, this new, this new Gilmore Girl thing, Girls thing is. Um, I don't know. It's uh, I, I'm trying. I'm still trying to figure out what uh, what the creator Amy Sherman Paladino, Paladino was was going for with it. It's a little. I don't know. It's uh, you want to like the characters, but but these characters are not necessarily likable. So I don't want to spoil it for anybody huh. that might be still making their way through it. But yeah, I don't know. Not um, not really not really thrilled with it. So but but it's the same like, like similar characters. Like oh, it's just, the, it's yeah. the same characters. Just just uh, flash forward uh, however many more years years forward in their lives, and we just sort gotcha. of check up where they left off. 
Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's I'm enjoying it. I'm I enjoy the characters. I enjoy stuff, but it's just uh, you know they're just I don't know they're just not as likable at the moment. So oh, I I understand that. That's sometimes that's uh, that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing, right? Like where you want to root for somebody uh, to go through the the conflicts in a uh, in a story, and then you just don't like them anymore, right? Um, yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. We, I, I, I you know, this, this is may, will become like hockey coach, hockey parent podcast, uh, safety talk. Um, but my, my nights and weekends are really filled with, uh, hockey related items. Now we, we spent, I'm been, already bored with it, Ben. I'm, I'm also, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, although, uh, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm saying this in, in the sense that I'm not consuming a lot of other stuff. I'm coming home and like reading a book and going to, I went to bed at, um, nine 30 last night. Cause I was, I was just so, I'm so tired from, I, I, had, I had practice at, uh, I had to get up at five 15 on Saturday morning. And then we had a game in Greensboro and then we drove to Roanoke and then we were in a hotel room with the kids. And so that's tiring. And anyway, um, I'm just not watching a lot of stuff. I'm, um, uh, yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's it. Oh, that's okay. although I am reading a really good book and I don't think I've mentioned on the podcast, I've been reading it for a while, uh, in little, uh, uh, blips, but it's um, it's by Chuck Klosterman. Have I mentioned this? I'm you not know sure. Go ahead, uh, fill okay. me in, caller. Yeah, go ahead, caller. Uh, <laughs> Chuck Klosterman is uh, used to be the ethicist. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Times. Yeah, yeah. And he he he's written some really great uh, uh, books. Who, who uh, things that that I really got into some pop culture. Um, uh, I don't know, essays on pop culture type stuff, uh, starting with uh, Fargo Rock City, uh, a heavy metal odyssey in rural North Dakota with a lot of umlauts mm-hmm. uh, back from about 15 years ago. Um, but uh, the his most recent one is, uh, but what if we're wrong? Thinking about the present as if it were the past. And it's uh, it's kind of cool. It's There's a lot of like science-y type stuff in it, um, especially, so he he uh sort of classifies things like what if what if we're wrong about bob dylan what if he's really not as great as as we all think he is but it's a time and space thing um and what if our, it, and so he he talks to um some physicists about time and what you know what if everything we're experiencing isn't real anyway it's just uh, it's sort of this this contrary look at um what if the obvious things that we're experiencing are not really happening? And and I put a um, a science look on that, saying, what if the things that we think we are seeing in this research study aren't really like they're just artifacts of the study, or they're artifacts of uh, of measuring? Or so so he gets into some some interesting stuff, interesting stuff. It's a different kind of book from what he's done in the past, which has um, you know been these shorter essays. This is a, a larger concept that he explores for i don't know a few hundred pages and it's pretty good i like yeah, it yeah it, it sounds like a very interesting premise so um i will also share what i'm reading so i um i've tried to get more and more 
uh, books, uh, not physical books, but but you know Kindle form, you know digital form. Um, but occasionally, and you know every year, um, my mom always wants to know what to get me for a birthday or Christmas, and so I want to get books, but I don't want books that I could that, that I could easily get um, you know for Kindle. And so I've taken to uh, at, at for Christmas or birthday uh, requesting graphic novels. And so I am reading uh, right now a graphic novel, a collection of graphic novels uh, called Fear Agent. Um, and I will read to you from Wikipedia because uh, Wikipedia, of course, is the ultimate source of important information here. Uh, the series stars the rugged, alcoholic Texas spaceman Heathrow Houston, the supposed last fear agent in a series of fast-paced adventures. Uh, notable for its emphasis on action, adventure, horror, and plot t- twists rather than realism or scientific detail. So uh, it's 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 just it's just good escape escapist uh, fun stuff with you know really really good art and and just really uh, just sort of silly hokey uh, you know uh, just s- stories that you know you but don't think too deeply about it so it's it's good stuff. That's cool. I um I've thought about some you know my kids are are both very much into reading and and in fact um, Jack our oldest uh, when his birthday. Came around in September. I asked him, you know, he, we were having this party and a couple of parents were like, well, what is Jack into? What does he want? So I asked him and he's like, oh, I just want some books, which is like, an, I, I don't know, an odd thing for, for a kid to be like, oh, I, but he got a bunch of Nerf guns, which, which actually made him much happier uh, than <laughs> books. Uh, but um, I've been I, – I've, I've really uh, – both comic books and graphic novels, I've really been trying to introduce that concept to him. When we go to use bookstores, and he—he's not. Neither of my kids are really into it. Um, he, the, the, I think there's a different genre of, uh, of, comics and the stories. The the Diary of a Wimpy Kid has a lot of illustrations in it, like that that um, group of books and Flat Stanley, and then there's these other ones um, called. Uh, Diary, not diary, something about a middle school, middle school's the worst or something. Um, and, and so he's, he's very much into those, but, but if I, um, I, I remember getting, um, a, a graphic novel of, um, Bat, Batman's origin story. And I'll have to see if I can find this up, uh, find this, but this was like maybe when I was 10 or 11 years old, it was like this beautiful, you know, much thicker than a, than a comic book with better art, uh, of Batman origin. And I was like, Oh, this is the greatest thing. And I really got kind of got into those for a while. And so I've been trying to be like, I, I don't know, encourage that with, with my kids. Cause I, I could really get into going to a comic book store, uh, with them or exploring the graphic uh, novel area of, uh, you know, of the used bookstore or Barnes and Noble or whatever. Um, but they're, they're really just not, I don't know. Maybe they're not old enough for it, or they're just not into it yet. Do um, they? Do they? Do they like and watch superhero movies like Guardians of the Galaxy or Avengers or any of that? No, they're really into the Flash on Netflix. Yeah, um, and so I think that's it's either a CBS show, it's a network show, maybe CW or something. Uh, and they they really like that, but they haven't gotten into um, Guardians of the Galaxy or or Avengers. Um, and neither, yeah, I don't know, and 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 I don't know whether that's just us not exposing them to it because it's not it's not a genre of movies that we like to watch, so so it's not something that we have like typically 
taken them to. Um, they really liked Big Hero Six, which is as close to that yep. um, genre as you know for for my kids. Um, but but I in Guardians of the Galaxy Two or Part Two or whatever is coming out soon, I think, or has a trailer. Yep. Um, so I I, I actually re- was reading about that yesterday. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll maybe we'll. Um, watch guardians of the galaxy this over the holiday break here in a couple of weeks and see if i can get them into it um but we're all pumped up for rogue one. Oh you know? yeah we're a star wars uh star wars family and, they, and they're into that they're very into star wars huh yeah well i think yeah. the, the comic book thing will come or or else it won't but i mean the main thing is like don't you know if, if they're into it that that's great and if they're not you know don't it's like you know don't like merlin's always talking about on, on back to work he tries very hard not to turn his kid into you know, a little copy of himself, right? Let her, don't right. let her find her own, her own way. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. So we're, we're trying, I keep opening the door, but not really pushing them into it or out of it yep. or whatever the yep. right, uh, right visual is there. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so yeah. Um, Hey, so Ben, I have a question for you. Oh, I'm go, go ahead. Caller. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, first time, <laughs> uh, first time tweeter. Um, uh, uh, this question comes in via Twitter. Uh, uh, someone wants to know uh, at what point you become a friend of the show. Oh, I think as soon as we, uh, uh, as soon as we come up with, um, uh, we, 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 as soon as you mention them. Okay, so so does that mean that uh, Dan uh, Double Lantandra uh, oh, yeah. is a friend of the show? Totally. I, I don't I don't know why he's asking. I, I think we yeah he's he's friend of the show uh, Dan Double Lantandra. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Who who's tweeting at us saying that he was listening to uh, FST one thirteen and uh, it was a little behind on his uh, listening and realized uh, that he, we were only fifteen minutes away from recording this episode uh, FST one fourteen yeah uh, so anyway uh, yeah no we're, uh, we're we're all uh, I think I think he's a, a friend of the, uh, he's a friend of the show wouldn't you say. We're, I would like, say so. I, I want to know why he's asking. I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled if we have, uh, if we've not specifically called him out, or if he wants to not be a friend of the show, or if he's asking for a friend that wants to become a friend of the show. It's all very. 140 characters does not leave much time for like nuanced conversation. You're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I feel like, like if the show had a Facebook, not a Facebook page, but had a Facebook. Uh, and was autonomous that we would have a lot of friends i think we would uh we would accept all all friends of the show to uh to, to the facebook yes do you think exactly we don't have a facebook page for food safety talk we don't we post we post on our facebooks when we have an episode come out yeah but um yeah should we should we get one should we put a should, does does food safety talk need a pinterest board do we does it need a linkedin doesn't doesn't have a twitter account no twitter account no Facebook page. It's got a web page. It does. Uh, yeah. You know, it's – and we do we do write about it on social media. Um, I, I, I think it's probably good without one. I think it – I don't think we need one. I don't think we need one. Yeah. That's, yeah check that off our list for yeah. today. Uh, does the podcast need a uh, Facebook page? No. No. <laughs> no. Oh, next. Um, so, yeah, welcome, listener uh, Dan Double Entendre, Dan Latondra, uh, and and fellow hockey fan, but not fellow Boston Bruins fan because I'm not a Boston Bruins fan, but he is uh, as uh, as an official friend of the show. There you go. I guess it's official. Uh, it's official. We're gonna make up shirts. <laughs> what? Again, like another round of shirts. Yes. 
I've got I've got some uh, I've got some funds to to pay for some shirts. Oh man! So I think we should uh, we'll hand shirts out to the friend of the show, friends of the show, and and other and other people. Uh, <laughs> enemies and, of the I, show. Do and enemies, enemies of the show get and a, get frenemies. A, of the frenemies. Show. Yeah, and uh, colleagues of the show, uh, associates. Uh, yeah, link, all the LinkedIners of the show. Anybody who's linked into the show LinkedIn page will get a T-shirt automatically. Uh, anybody, anybody who follows the show on Twitter will also get a show. Will get you, a T-shirt automatically. If you like, if you like our Facebook page, we'll give you a T-shirt. We'll give you a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're we're beca- we're I don't know what we're doing here. Um, yeah, so 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 we've had there's some stuff that's going on. Um, I hey I uh, we had a paper published last last week. Congratulations! I think I read about it on the Barf blog. It was on yeah, it was on the Barf blog. It was uh, we we've talked about this study a few times on uh, on the podcast, but now as as these things do, um, there was a you know uh, it takes a while for all of the pieces to fall into place, meaning we presented about it at IAFP a couple of times in a poster session, an oral session. Um, we wrote the paper. It got reviewed. It got published. There was a press release that went out, all that kind of stuff. And um, I I thought, uh, I thought that more people would have been interested in this paper because this paper to me is like – and this, this is going to show the um, – where I'm out of touch with things. Um, to me, this is like the the most fascinating study that that I think I've been part of, and it was like the most complete, robust approach to answer um, a research question in the weird kind of reality based way that I that I do stuff. That my group does stuff. That my my students do stuff. Does stuff. And uh, and no one no one has cared, Don. Like I mean, you you cared, but but uh, friends of the show might have cared. But the pickup from a general um, media uh, standpoint, I've no no one no one's called no one like no, I've not even had like any retweets on it. So I, I think I missed I missed it. So well, Ben, you know what you should have written the paper about. I the yeah the five second <laughs> five second rule because because that doesn't matter at all, and yet it got huge pickup. Yeah right yeah, right it's well really and, sad. No, no, no. It's not. It's not sad at all. Like this is this is the thing. The stuff that, so stuff that matters to the public or matters to the, to to journalists or matters to the to the media, and the stuff that matters to um, you know, to me are different things. <laughs> that's apparently it. that's my point. that's my point right here. But you know, you know, you did you did get picked up uh, by one uh, leading food uh, industry food safety source. Who was that? Um, that's a guy by the name of uh, Doug Powell. You may have oh, heard of well, him. Well, yes. So, yeah. so I have to. I have. To, I have to read. We'll, we'll link to this, and I will read it. So, <clears throat> this is Doug, who is quite effusive, and and he was very. It was very. It was very touching, actually. He says. Uh, uh, he says, "I love this paper. The research is cool, but to me, it culminates 16 years of Chapman becoming a better researcher. I had a hand." <laughs> 
in the idea for the paper, but Chapman and his team did all the work. I edited some stuff, stuff spelled S-T-U-F-F. So uh, apparently uh, he edited some stuff, but not the post, or maybe that's ironic. Nope. I don't know. That, that's, that's the way he likes to he write stuff. He likes to write stuff? stuff? Okay. Um, I was reminded last night, and this is like he's Plax's rhapsodic here. I was reminded last night of all the youthful energy me and Chapman and Blaine and Lisa and Bray and Katie and Sarah and the reintroduced Carol had when we did the bulk of our creative work, sort of like the Stones, 68 to 72. I was. I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask like who's Mick and who's Keith, but I I, I, I didn't. So anyway, he goes on. He goes on from there. But I have to. I have to also share actually brief uh, pop culture flashback. So we saw uh, in in concert or in um, uh, live uh, Craig Ferguson, and and we recently rewatched something on. I think it was on Netflix, which is basically that same tour. And if you've never heard um, Craig Ferguson's. Uh, bit on the Rolling Stones and the time that he met Mick Jagger and the time that he he didn't tour with the Stones but he was with them a lot. Um, it's absolutely hilarious. So so highly highly recommend that I won't spoil it uh, for anybody. But uh, 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 if you can find a copy of Craig Ferguson's, um, will I'll look for it and see if we can link to it. Um, his talking about the Rolling Stones stuff. But it's just it's great stuff. Cool, cool. I will. Uh, I, I didn't know that Craig Ferguson uh, toured with the Rolling Stones. Uh, I'll, I'll check that out. Um, yeah, it was, thanks for, uh, bringing the, the post up. It, it was, uh, that was a night, it was really uh, touching, uh, post from, from Doug. And, and when we were, so I don't know if this, uh, if this worked like, if, if it works the same way for, for you on, um, when you, uh, put out a press release on, on your research, Tom, but I, I spent a lot of time with, um, friend of the show and someone who you now know uh through the internet uh matt shipman mm-hmm. um and and so he's our he's our guy that puts his stuff out there and he really gets um my stuff like he I, he's a he's he cooks and he's really into food safety and he's got kids that are the same age as mine we we just connect and and so we sit down and and matt wrote a uh post and i think i, I mentioned this in the last uh i maybe didn't say it but um he and I went out for lunch um, right right before uh, we recorded. Oh, wait a second! It's right after we, we recorded uh, Food Safety Talk one thirteen. Um, so that that afternoon, um, he, he and I went and ordered hamburgers at a, a local restaurant because he I, I kind of said. He's like, okay, I'm going to write a post. So we got the press release. We we knew that the paper was coming out a couple months ago. So he'd written a draft, and we'd gone back and forth on it. Um, and he he said, um, you know, why don't why don't we? I'll write a I'll write a post for the abstract, which is our research blog for NC State about it. And so he said, what you know, what should we do? And I was like, why don't we just go out and order a burger? And and I'll I'll demonstrate. You know, if it works, if if we get confusing information or if we get information that's different from what's on the menu or if we get just risky information then then you've got you have your story that's and that's it, what you call the hook ben that was the hook yeah nice uh and then but if it doesn't like if if the if the server gives us great information and we have this fantastic conversation about risk and everything's great and i'm like this is what it should be like so we've got something so anyway that's what we did we go to this restaurant and and we'll link to to his post. He's a much better writer than I am. Um, and, and cause that's what his job is, uh, to do. But so he, well, it's kind uh, of your job too. It is a little bit, but, um, <laughs> you got to yeah. do other stuff. 
I got to do other stuff, and he's just he's better at writing these things. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so his the headline is "Don't trust trust your waiter for food safety advice," and he starts the post with, "I went out for lunch recently at an upscale restaurant. Other guests wore suits. There was an extensive wine list, and the server was extremely upbeat. What she didn't know, and I did, was that my guest for lunch was a food safety expert, and her table spot table side <laughs> manner was being judged. Um, nice. So, yeah. So so anyway, the um, uh, the the server uh, we we both order um hamburgers and or yeah he ordered yeah anyway um and then i i go first and order a hamburger i start ordering a burger that's medium rare and then she didn't sort of mention anything about it and they go oh well hang on a second is that like is that safe i noticed that you've got this little blurb here on the menu and she goes oh yeah, yeah don't worry about what it says on the menu lots of people order other mer- medium rare burgers they don't get sick um it's totally safe here you don't have to worry about it we just are required to put that information on here but there's really no risk and so it like set it up perfectly i was like and as she left the table i was like matt there you go that is essentially what we found in our entire study <laughs> so what i what i have to ask is so you've just now ordered a medium rare burger yeah. She's told you it's safe. Yeah. What do you do when the burger comes? So as <laughs> she left the the table, I was like, you know what? I kind of changed my mind. Can I get it well done? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you waited until the last minute and then you jumped I did. in. There. Okay. Yep. Cool. And, and and even that, like, I mean, let's let's pick that apart. What I really should have ordered is cook it to 160. Yeah, exactly. Like I, that's what that that's what I that is my normal ordering. But I've already like engaged in this weird conversation with the server. So I was like, okay, let me. What? How can I get my as risk reduced possible burger so I can enjoy my lunch with my my good friend Matt Shipman? Right. Um. And so that's that's where it is. I we th- this whole. Uh, this whole concept, I mean, it's come up a bunch of times when I've been I, like, I'm full of anecdotes on, on this stuff. Like the time at IAFP in Indianapolis, where I went out to eat with a bunch of food safety nerds at a brew pub place and ordered a burger. And because I was there with all these nerds, I'm like, I'll have it 160 degrees. And then the server was like, are you kidding? We don't even have a thermometer. Um, and and so now I had this like really awkward conversation, which I ended up changing my um, I changed to a different thing. Like, I didn't even order a burger after right. she said that she couldn't do it. Um, and then I got into this like weird argument with a food truck outside of a brewery in Raleigh that was like pushed ahead by Danny telling the person as I ordered a well done burger um, that uh, that I was a food safety expert and knew stuff about it. And this is why I was ordering it. So anyway, I, I actually, I, I, I shy away from ordering burgers now, mm. like to not engage in this conversation. That's, that's not yeah. the right thing to do, right? Like that's well, that's where I am. Yeah, no, I, I see why. It's uh, it's a whole thing now. It's the whole thing. It's a whole thing, and I gotta like, I, I it, uh, of the things that um, that I have learned as a graduate student or or taken from from Doug, like in my time with Doug, it's like you can't if you're gonna preach the stuff, you gotta live by it. So don't don't tell people they should order to 160 degrees unless you're prepared to order cook to 160 degrees. Exactly. And so I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's 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 the that's the thing. It's like um, so so that sometimes it's easier to not order that and order something else. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that then engage in this weird food safety conversation, which is like 
It shouldn't be that way. I don't know. I like can't. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, uh, I, I'm not not fully um, uh, convinced that uh, sometimes I just back down from it. So. Um, so hey, so um, <clears throat> what do you think? Uh, what do you think about uh, church-sponsored Thanksgiving dinners? So I, I'm all for them. I'm all for them when people don't die, Don. Yeah. So we'll um, we'll 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 uh, uh, we'll we'll talk about this. I think uh, right. I mean, because this, yeah. this is and this actually this is very interesting. So this this came to us. I believe I first learned about this um, because a friend of the show, uh, Linda Harris. Uh, sent us an email, and she said, "What do you guys think is going on here?" Right, and so, uh, and so, right now, uh, as of, let's see, the last information that I have here, and, and correct me if I've got any of this wrong, at least seventeen people are sick in an outbreak of food, and I'm reading, I'm reading from uh, East Bay Times article, which we will link to. At least seventeen people were sickened in the outbreak of a foodborne illness that apparently killed three in East Contra Costa County. Authorities said. Um, as evidence mounted that the cause was a church-sponsored Thanksgiving dinner in which much of the food was prepared in homes. Uh, a day after saying that county health permit was not required for the community dinner that served more than 800 people at the American Legion Hall in Antioch, Contra Costa County health officials said Tuesday they will now investigate whether a permit should be required of uh, the uh, Brentwoods Golden Hills Community Church next year if the dinner continues. And so... And the reason why um, uh, Linda reached out to us was that it, it wasn't clear at first what the cause was. And I think it's still not clear exactly what the cause was. Um, I think um, – and, and, and when, when, when we were asked what would, what would be the cause, my, my uh, suggestion or my guess was that it was probably, based on what we knew about it, it was Clostridium perfringens. Based on onset time and foods and, and you know what we know about these kind of situations, and in fact, uh, Bill Marler, uh, who's quoted in the same article and who also posted about this on his blog, says uh, that in fact uh, the uh, the known facts uh, of the case, at least as of uh, the 29th of November, which is when this story came out, the known facts of the case point to Clostridium perfringens. So. Um, uh, uh, and Bill says here most people get sick for 36 to 48 hours, but if you're 80 years old, it could kill you. And and, and, and indeed, this was an elderly skewed audience, and, and indeed the deaths were were skewed towards the elderly. So um, uh, yeah, so I don't know what what so what what's your take on this, Ben? Yeah, so I mean a couple of things we we shared a few emails uh, back and forth on this, and um, yeah, yeah, we we both sort of jumped at um, perfringens or Staph aureus or Bacillus cereus just from the quick onset uh and then that that there has um there's a potential for uh um for fatalities as it relates to specific audiences um or not on populations i mean um where the elderly um you know, folks that that might not be that might already be immunocompromised due to other underlying health issues and so that's where where we kind of kind of went but then we got some some other information uh suggesting that uh, a whole panel of uh pathogen testing had been done on on stool and it wasn't one of you know the 21 uh or 23 different uh foodborne pathogens that we would you know typically come up with um and then 
I, you know, I'm not reading that message. I said, oh, maybe it's norovirus. And the, um, it was pointed out uh, by Linda that the message explicitly said, well, I, we've tested for norovirus. So um, you, you and I kind of went to the, to the same place, which maybe it's a chemical uh, toxin here. Maybe it's something, some other um, contaminant that led to this. And, and especially when you look at four hours, six hours, 10 hours uh post-consumption to onset of illnesses, um, that, that would make sense. And, and, you know, tragically you've got, oh gosh, uh, lots of, lots of people sick, um, and, and three deaths. Um, and, and now the, the thing that's, so there, there are two things that I'm, um, that strike me on this. This is a large dinner event. This is different from the one that, uh, that we saw in Ohio, uh, last year, uh, that was, uh, the outbreak that was, excuse me, linked to, um, botch, uh, yeah, botulinum toxin in, um, a potato salad leading to, you know, 30, uh, I think 30 illnesses or so, um, where it was a small group and, and a lot of people ate that food and a lot of people got sick from it. This is 19 illnesses that are being investigated after over 800 people, um, were sick. And so there's, you know, like, like with any of these things, there's lots of missing information that we don't know. So, um, the stuff like that, some of this food was prepared in homes and then brought and donated. We don't have a sense of how much of what that everyone brought. So you may have a situation here that one individual or one family made some food and it was a relatively small amount of food compared to 800 people. And their dish was the only one that was linked to, um, uh, to these illnesses. Um, I, the, the other thing that, that I, I, I want to come back to is something you mentioned about, uh, this event that was produced without obtaining any permits. Um, you know, that whether, whether, whether something like this needs a permit or not is always like this real sticky point in any conversation that I have with, um, folks in extension or community, uh, members around meals like this. And, and everyone's always really concerned about what do I have to do? What, you know, do we need to get inspected? That kind of stuff. And, and to me, that's entirely the wrong conversation. The regulation is is something that sets the the bar. But if I'm going to serve food to 800 people, regardless of whether I need a permit or not, I'm probably going to have or should have a conversation with my health department to make sure that I am doing this in a way that's unlikely to lead to, to illnesses. And maybe that means having uh, all of the people that are donating food go through some basic food handling, food safety uh, workshop or class. Maybe it's just giving them a checklist of things that says, if you're going to make, you know, turkey and gravy, here's how we'd like you to handle the turkey that you cook it to 165. And if you're going to make a bunch of gravy, we don't want you to bring in this four gallon pot of gravy that might've been sitting at 60 degrees, uh, even though you put it in the refrigerator, but, but the middle is, is been sitting at 60 degrees for, you know, 26 hours. Um, the things like this uh, really call into it call to attention that there are, there are events like this that happen all the time, and, and really we shouldn't be worried about regulation. It's how do we do it in a safe way? Um, and 
uh, our colleague, our friend at uh, Penn State University, Kathy Cutter, has this really, really great document um, called Cooking for Crowds that we'll link to in the show notes. And it, it really spells out um, things to to think about and and worry about when it comes to to food safety i just i wish more i wish more people you know looked at at this kind of thing before they they um made these made these meals and and this is you know all of my comments there are on an assumption that that there's something there's some handling or uh some food related item that that someone in a um in, in, in this situation did uh, incorrectly or did did you know uh, uh, did um with risk uh or risky but um you know we don't we don't know all the particulars yet but i, I think that running something like this you should at least have somebody there who knows how to manage food safety risks yeah, indeed. It's not. It's right. The question is not what reg- do we have to follow the regulations. The question is what do we need to do to be safe. Yeah, and and who do we need to bring in to help us do that? So, so it's tragic. This kind of stuff uh, drives me crazy because people are really trying to do a um, something positive for their community and and look out for you know people that might be less fortunate and give some joy during a a holiday season that might not be full of joy like like many many are and uh and then unfortunately it leads to to illness and and tragedy and so the answer to me is not like getting rid of these things it's how do we do them safely so yeah sad stuff thanks for bringing it up yep (laughs) yeah (laughs) thanks 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 don uh yeah so we got so we got a little bit of that um, we got another another like interesting thing going on where uh, CDC says uh, there's uh, 21 people sick in uh, eight different states with uh, salmonella, and it's uh, salmonella that was uh, connected. It's Heidelberg, and it was connected using whole genome sequencing, and. Uh, Turns out that the thing that might be in common is all the people were um, uh, hand, well handling and showing dairy bull calves uh, at, that were had been used for 4-H product, projects, and that these uh, um, calves all came from one uh, one source. Yeah, and this is you know, it's it's again, it's a tragedy. It's too bad that people are sick, but this is an example of how whole genome sequencing, I think, is really changing the world, right? Like, so how do you, uh, this is 21 uh, cases linked in eight states. And uh, I mean, yeah, so of course, um, we know that animals can be a source of salmonella, animals can be a source of E. coli. We've talked about outbreaks like this in the past, but how would you ever have put this together without, uh, without this kind of uh, high, high level um, genetic fingerprinting and, and, and pulse net and uh, whole genome sequencing? So, yeah. So, uh, again, I'll, I'll read uh, from, the, from the BARF blog post for, for some of the, the facts here. Uh, among the 19 people with available information, illnesses started on dates ranging from January 11th, 2016 to October 24th, 2016. Ill people range from less than one year to 72 with a median age of 21. So that's kind of interesting right there. It's skewed, it's skewed uh, younger. Um, 62% of the ill people were female, so slightly skewing towards female. Um, uh, of the 19 ill people, 8, 42% reported being hospitalized. So that's a 
that's a pretty high hospitalization rate and no deaths reported. And so, um, yeah, I'm just really fascinating. I, and obviously, 19 cases ranging over a wide range of dates. Um, I would venture to say virtually impossible to put this picture together unless you had this uh, this kind of in-depth um, uh, genetic matching that will let you pull out these particular 19 cases from all the other people that, that got Salmonella Heidelberg. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And, um, and, and here's a, a situation where um, – You've got, yeah, what is it, uh, 15 of the 19 people um, had this contact with the uh, Dairy Bull. And uh, the CDC sort of mentions at the end that uh, traceback information is, is a bit limited, but most calves in this outbreak came from Wisconsin. And, and so being able to link this back to some – so it's not just you have really, really highly, highly related pathogens, right? Like, like we've got um, – that whole genome sequencing is like, okay, there's something here and, and that these things are um, – the, this pathogen is looks like it's very, very close. But being able to link that back to this – not just handling animals but animals that came from Wisconsin um, is something that, that I don't think uh, – as you mentioned with that whole genome sequencing that we would be doing uh, at all. And another example of handling – Animals, even with, and this this one's a little like stands out to me a little bit because often you hear um, about um, individuals in farming communities who are around cows all the time, around animals all the time, uh, and not having the same kind of prevalence of illness. Uh, and there was some work by. Um, uh, Roger, Roger, Roger Thompson, I think it was from. Um, in Canada back uh, over 15 years ago, looking at um, antibodies in dairy, uh, dairy family uh, kids and just showing that, yeah, they've been exposed to pathogens and they probably have some acquired immunity, but here you've got actual illnesses. So even just looking at the genetic makeup of this Heidelberg may show that they're, it's particularly more virulent than other salmonella or other pathogens that they might have been exposed to. It's kind of interesting to to look at that as well. Um, it, it, kind of notable, though. Like this is a, a, a different, you know, different kind of outbreak that we've seen from whole genome sequencing. Indeed. Indeed. And it's, 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 I think it just shows the, the power of the technology. So. Yeah. Hey, speaking of a different kind of outbreak, um, FDA has published a couple of papers on uh, follow-up from the um, uh, the ice cream outbreak. Yeah. Funny you should mention that. That's where I was going to go next. All right. Well, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about uh, low levels of uh, monocytogenes in, uh, in ice cream. All right. So, yeah. Uh, First paper that uh, pops up is uh, was in Journal of Food Protection um, uh, last uh, last month here November first publication November first yeah yep. and so this paper is uh, the prevalence and level of Listeria monocytogenes in ice cream linked to listeriosis outbreak in the United States and uh, lead author is Yi Chen and there are a bunch of people on this who we know many names uh, here who were involved in the investigation uh, including uh, one uh, Donald L Zink uh, and and another Mickey 
blank parish because uh, Mickey's uh, L's missing uh, from his name uh, and a bunch of and a bunch of other folks uh, uh, who we know. And, and I'm just going to read uh, a little bit from this this paper um, that that uh, so. Uh, and I'm going to read straight from the abstract because it summarized, I think, the best here. The analyzed samples were collected from seven lots produced in November 2014, December 2014, January 2015, and March 2015, where uh, monocytogenes were, were, was detected in 99% of the tested samples. And it's just an, an immense number of samples, right, Don? Like, right. They, they sampled 20, they took 2,300 samples, uh, 2,320, and found LM positives in 2,307 of those, pos- those samples, which was amazing. Right. It's easier to count the negative samples than to count the positive samples. Incredible. And, and in, in five, uh, five of the batches, there were no negative samples. And in a couple of smaller batches, uh, there were there were a greater number of negative samples. But for overwhelmingly, the the number of these lots uh, were just loaded. Well, loaded is not the right word, but were very listeria was very prevalent. Virtually, you know, again, harder, easier to count the listeria negatives than the positives. I can't think of an uh, of an outbreak where I've seen so much detail and so many samples taken where it was where the prevalence was this high. Like I I, I can't I don't. Uh, you know, I just I can't think of another example of this. Um, and and so that's that's part that's the first piece. Right. Like that's the first holy crap portion of this. The second is um, with the ne- you know, the next part of the sentence, which is 92 percent of these samples, which were contaminated less than 20 NPN per gram. Um, and so the. The levels of LM in these samples had a geometric mean per lot of 0.15 to 7.1 MPM per gram, and that just the, the such a low, um, high prevalence and low concentration of LM leading to this uh, in this investigation is just kind of kind of insane um, uh, to me. And so, but here here are the things you know. So anyway, I'll, I'll throw this to you, and I've got some I've got some stuff that I want to talk about. Yeah. So, and the other thing that I want to talk about, more importantly than this, which is just a huge amount of work, and we kind of knew this was coming, because I had conversations. So, at the the time that the outbreak occurred and that the sampling was taking place, uh, Don uh, Zink and I were on the board, uh, IAFP board, and Don talked about uh, truckloads of ice cream arriving at FDA and FDA having to figure out how to store it um, for purposes of testing. So, so tremendous amount of work, and thanks to FDA for doing that. The article that I am much more interested in talking about is a related article um, uh, entitled. Uh, infectious dose of listeria monocytogenes in outbreak linked to ice cream, United States 2015. Uh, it's got some of the same authors as the uh, previous article. The lead author is Regis Puyot, who's a well-known risk modeler. Um, other people on on the, that list include Adhin Data, who I don't think I know personally, but who does review manuscripts uh, for AEM, and then Jane Van Doren, um, who heads up the uh, the risk uh, the risk group at at FDA. Who actually, coincidentally, I saw last week when we were there for our meeting. So, um, yeah, so that's, so I want to talk about that paper. Um, but do you have anything else on, on this before I jump into that? Oh, my microphone was off. No, no, go ahead. Go jump in. Jump in. Okay. So, um, so let's see. So the, uh, I had it highlighted here. Um, 
the the important to me the important thing the important set of uh, phrases here in this article um, occur in the uh, discussion, and it says. Um, the estimated mean dose per milkshake is uh, 1,240 cells, and then it gives the range. Uh, we, we estimate that one in 1,000 milkshakes would have a load of greater than 26,000 listeria cells. But here's the key, the key phrase. Assuming there was no initial com- contamination of the milkshake machines and no growth of the pathogen in the milkshakes, the mean contamination level of Listeria monocytogenes in the milkshakes, 8 cells per gram of ice cream, was relatively low compared with contamination levels in some other outbreaks, and it lists the outbreaks. However, in the absence of leftovers from actual implicated milkshakes, we cannot rule out the possibility that the four susceptible patients receive some of the highest contaminated products from the factory line triggering infection. Um, And then they go on to say experimental trials of listeria growth in milkshakes made from these ice cream samples held at room temperature showed an absence of growth during eight hours and an average population increase of 14 hours after 14 hours limited to 1.14 log CFU. And again, there's a a citation uh, there to another article which is – uh, oh, I, hmm, I don't know what that's linked to. But anyway, um, uh, we cannot exclude the possibility that variations in procedures used to clean the milkshake machines might have enabled isolated microbial growth on more than one machine. We believe the high prevalence of contamination of the product might have inoculated more than one machines with repeated preparations over a long period, which contaminated products were distributed. However, no listeria was isolated from the samples collected from these machines after the outbreak was recognized. And again, the question is, I guess, you know, when did the hospital know about the problem and when did they, when did they clean the, when did they clean the ice cream or the the milkshake uh, uh, mixing machine? So, I mean, clearly, this level of dose does not pose a risk to the general public, right? Because right. people that were consuming this, there was a lot of con- contaminated ice cream. There were no cases. 99%. Right. <laughs> right. 99%. Um, but the people that were very sick in the hospital did get ill. But the dose that they were exposed to is lower than we've ever seen before, even for people who are immunocompromised. But the but the big the missing piece of all this, and good good for FDA for doing those growth studies, right? Showing uh, no growth in eight hours um, and, and limited growth after fourteen hours. However, the missing piece of all of this is we don't know. And it would be it would be kind of interesting to get some of these these milkshake uh, mixers and and to run them uh, and 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 you know see if we could simulate what would happen. But it's entirely possible that those milkshake mixing machines did become contaminated and did recontaminate milkshakes with high levels. But of course, at that point, at this point, it is speculation. Um, we do I do know from from conversations with folks around the time of the outbreak that these machines are notoriously difficult to clean. So, um, yeah, so, I, I, again, we've got a bunch more information. It's good information, but, of course, um, you know, it turns out it's a little more complicated and we, we still really do need more information before we can definitively say. But for now, it certainly does say, well, first of all, it says that these doses are probably safe for the general public, but it also says that if you're immunocompromised, um, boy, you sure don't want to be anywhere near any listeria. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you, you bring up 
um, you know, two things or this, this, these two papers bring up uh, a, a couple of things. One in my wheelhouse on cleaning and sanitizing and standard operating procedures in food service uh, settings. Uh, I want to read um, uh, from a, a, another passage just after what what you highlighted uh, on why uh, hospital the hospital staff might have cleaned and sanitized uh, the milkshake machine really really well after uh, the before the investigation could uh, take place and and after um, you know the illnesses and says here medical staff at the hospital also might have had a heightened suspicion of listeriosis after diagnosis in the initial case which might have increased the likelihood of detecting cases also like so yeah absolutely let's look at this person dies from listeria what do they eat we know the milkshakes are involved if i'm the the person who's in charge of food service there i'm gonna be like where let's look at the incoming product and let's look at everything that that product might have gone through oh look there's a milkshake machine let's take that thing apart and clean the crap out of it literally um <laughs> uh, yeah, uh before before we move move on to to something else but um it, it reminds me of uh, and and this is where you know pathogens sometimes uh, act alike sometimes they act not alike but um there was uh, an outbreak that was linked a salmonella outbreak that was linked to an immersion blender um that maybe we did we talk about this in the last podcast we've talked about it in previous podcasts um yeah remind remind me i'm not i'm not remembering yeah hang on let me find it salmonella immersion blender there we go salmonella enteritis infections uh associated with a contaminated uh immersion blender at a camp from 2010 uh this is um 133 ill people uh and they were linked to so an immersion blender is like um you know, commercial ones uh, are are like two-handed kind of things that you stick into a big, you know, few-gallon vat of something. In this case, it looked like pudding. Uh, but an immersion, handheld immersion blender would be uh, something that I would make a milkshake with at home. And they are, um, because they're immersed and where the blades are and that there's, shaft, there's a seal around the shaft that allows the housing – uh, that protects the housing to allow the motor to drive uh, the blade around. Um, there's just a lot of places where you can have niches for salmonella or or for listeria, and and a, a a milkshake machine is is not all that different as far as far as I could see that that. Um, a normal cleaning and sanitizing step would not probably be take it apart, take the gaskets out, um, clean and sanitize it, let it dry before the next time I'm I'm going to use this uh, this blender. I'm probably going to um, try and rinse it with a bunch of water and then maybe dip a little dip the um, blades into some sanitizer. But you know this this previous uh, outbreak to me shows hey I probably if I'm using anything that's got a lot of um, moving parts with lots of different little gaskets, uh, and, uh, things that, um, uh, in housing where it might be a really good niche for a pathogen, whether it's salmonella or listeria, I probably need to, um, you know, have a, a validated cleaning procedure for it. Um, so that, that, that pops up in, in to me is like, holy, how, if if I look at many of the restaurants or institutions that I've been part of, 
the thought of a little bit of listeria contamination coming in on a raid e product like an like ice cream uh, then establishing a niche changes how I'm going to approach a lot of different pieces of equipment in that kitchen. Like this is this is really important, uh, like important pieces, uh, important publications for that for that kind of stuff. Yeah, indeed, and and I, I will say also there is another article which will so we'll link to the uh, the Salmonella Immersion Blender article. We'll also link to an article from uh, called from a journal called Front oh, Fr- uh, Frontiers in Microbiology from May of this year. Uh, recovery and growth potential of Listeria monocytogenes in temperature abused milkshakes, and that's the one that, that they cited, where they they showed that you don't get growth until um, uh, after uh, a, a longer period of time. So uh, yeah, so anyway, some interesting stuff. Yeah, and 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 stuff that the, we you and I um, sometimes talk about our regulatory partners as way like, hey, we wish you would share more information. And this is a great example of um, doing just that, both CDC and um, FDA folks that were involved in, in this um, in this work, or maybe it's just FDA. Uh, but I got to th- think that the other paper that I pulled, anyway, um, that this is great. This is the kind of stuff that really, really helps and not sitting on this information uh, and putting it out there for the industry and for other regulators and for academics to learn from. This is really important stuff. I, I commend them on this. Yes, absolutely. Really I mean, this is a lot of work and it definitely has advanced the science and, and we couldn't we couldn't do it without them. So definitely good, good, good work and, and good job, FDA. And and the, the other thing, we didn't talk too much about the infectious dose side of things with, with these specific populations, but um, it, it also – so in a conversation that you and I might have with someone in the industry and when we talk about risk and say, look, um, we know that the mean infectious dose for a healthy individual is much higher than – what we're seeing in um, in this emerging infectious disease uh, paper, um, knowing who you're selling your product to really matters, right? Like like Bluebell ice cream is ice cream that goes like anybody who wants to eat ice cream can eat it. It's not just for healthy individuals, and and that I, I really think that changes that should change how we how we address um, food processing, uh, controls, um, because yeah, for the most part, no one's going to get sick and, and no one's going to die. I mean, with, as, as we mentioned, as we mentioned here, like with 99% of them, these samples contaminated. Um, but in the small portion of folks that buy these products that are not healthy individuals, um, look at this outcome, right? Like how do you, how, how can you, how can you plan for that? Right, and if I'm if I'm in charge of food service for a hospital where I have severely immunocompromised people in my hospital, then I, you could bet I would be really, really careful about what do we feed them and how do we prepare them and what's the environment and how do we manage manage that risk because I mean again I still I really I don't believe that the infectious I don't believe that the infectious dose that is being reported in this article is the dose that the people are 
ingesting, right? And as they say, right in the abstract, there's assumptions, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, the ingestion, yep. the ingestion of high doses of Listeria monocytogenes by these patients infected through milkshakes was unlikely, if possible, additional contamination associated with the preparation of milkshakes is ruled out. And the at the point at this point, we can't rule it out, but it is very, very interesting. And in what that says to me, again, if, if I'm if I'm in charge of food service for this audience, well, first of all, if I'm in charge of food service for this audience, I think I might look for a different job because this sounds like an impossible job, right? But if, if I had to do it, uh, I would really, really be, be circumspect about exactly what cleaning and, sanitary, cleaning and sanitation practices I had. I would be very careful about who I sourced ingredients from because obviously, you know, it was, you know, bad stuff happened. So this brings up a whole other point that I want to jump to, which I didn't plan on talking about today. And you probably didn't know we were going to go this route, but, but who are these folks that are running um, food service in institutional settings. I'll, I'll give you my experience. It's not food safety people. It's a registered dietitian um, and, or, or someone who, who has a background in, in nutrition uh, because for the, just as important as food safety for these populations is someone who's recovering from an illness needs to have very specific uh, nutritional needs met um, because that's that's their only you know uh, it's going to be a, a major their only source of um, of inputs to make their health, their body healthy again and um, I I so I'm gonna maybe uh, not make some of our nutrition listeners happy but I I just don't uh, overall. I don't see a lot of good listeria knowledge implementation of food safety practices in the in the registered dietitian nutrition world, and I say that from working with two really great dietitians that are food safety or are, um, uh, foods and nutrition specialists who would are, are would be amongst the first to say I don't really know a whole lot about food safety, even though I took uh, you know a serve safe course and when I was in college. Right, and I guess let me let me. I don't want to. I, I disagree with that, but let me say that every year, uh, twice a year, I give a lecture on food safety as part of a class that is offered to all of the Rutgers uh, uh, dietitian dietetics majors um, called Quantity Foods, and in, in Quantity Foods, these these kids, uh, young young men and women, uh, mostly women, um, learn about how to prepare food in quantity. And a big part of that is food safety. So they get a lecture from me. They, they meet the university sanitarian. They get, they get uh, additional lectures on food safety. But, you know, so, but I would say also they are probably not as well. I don't know. Are they maybe, you know, I wonder if you had to compare side by side somebody with, a gra- with, a, with an undergraduate degree in food science – versus a, a dietetics degree, I wonder which one has more food safety applications. Certainly the dietetics students with Quantity Foods, uh, the course called Quantity Foods, they are getting an education in what it means to make foods in quantity, which our food science students are not necessarily getting. But the food science students, maybe they're getting a little more science about pathogens. But again, it's not so much science. It's, it's really about the practices, right? What are the best right. practices? Again, yes, it's taking serve safe, but it's also like thinking about how you do it. But yeah, but would somebody, let's say, leaving... Rutgers or NC State or you know you, your favorite institution with a degree in dietetics, if they were suddenly put in charge of like, like that's a good question. So if would would somebody like that be in charge of 
uh, um, you know, food for uh, immunocompromised people? Like what does the hierarchy look like? What does the training look like? What, what kind of expertise do you have to have before you can become in charge of, uh, you know, the, the food preparation for people who are in uh, a cancer ward? It's a, that's a really good question, which I don't know the answer to. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer either, and I'm not trying to throw it out like, oh, these individuals don't know anything about food safety. I, I think you bring up the, you know, the the great second point, which is, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, it's not to say that a food science student would would also know how to handle this. This is real practical stuff that that is not in the ge- the generic certified food protection manager program. It is very special to these populations, and if I look at the um, uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website I'm looking at right now, um, food safety risks for pregnant women and newborns. I'll text text you this link. This this is not so. I, I you know I couldn't find anything really quick on immunocompromised, but this kind of stuff is about what to do in the home, and it's not really talking about how to um, how how you would cook foods or not or ask someone to prepare foods in an institutional setting for uh, a pregnant or, or uh, a pregnant woman or, or newborn or, or whatever. Like, so some of this stuff, this just looks like generic, here's information that comes out of fightback.org, which is fine information, but the fightback, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is the fightback.org conversation doesn't get those milkshake um, yep. machines cleaned. Yep. Foods. And it does have a nice list on foods to avoid. Uh, I would note that milkshakes and ice cream are not on that list. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, right. So this is all – this is great information. But if – I mean what we're really talking about – well, first of all, Bluebell – I mean first of all, Bluebell should – Bluebell is to blame, right? Because yeah. they, they should have had a testing program. They should have known this. There's no way that they should have produ- been producing ice cream with low levels of listeria in every freaking batch, right? That's That's just – Gross negligence on their part, as, as, far, as far as I'm concerned. But that said, what what do people who run these operations need to know? It is a it is a very specialized, and of course, it's easy for for you and I to sit here in our our comfy offices or comfy homes and and put our feet up on our desk and and talk about um, you know what they should have done because duh, well now we know what they should have done, sure. But what, if you had asked us before, um, you know, Bluebell, what would you what would you be worried about? I probably wouldn't have been this, right? So right. so now it's easy to see what the problem is. But the question is, how does the system evolve, right? Well, what is Bluebell going to do to prevent the problem. What are hospitals and, and hospital um, you know feeding operations for immunocompromised people? Are, are they going to change their practices? Uh, what you know? What, what would they do today, knowing what you know now? Right? Because it's easy to you know it's easy to say they should have done this or they should have done that. But the real question is, what are you doing now? Right? What is Bluebell doing now to manage this? What are people in these operations doing now to manage the risk going forward? Absolutely. And how do you manage this risk for in a, in a really practical way? I mean, is there um, continuing education? And again, we, we totally, since we don't know this, there, maybe this exists already. And hopefully one of our listeners knows about it and, and can send us a message about how this all works. But is there continuing education for institutional food service purchase uh, 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 
procurement folks, uh, for those who are on operations and are making food that relate specifically to this population about here are all the foods and all the stuff that we know in the last two years that makes, um, that we know about listeria specifically that's different. And, and this is stuff that, that is above and beyond what you would find in your normal generic food safety training. And I'm, uh, I just texted you two other, um, links that I want to highlight here from, um, Eat right the uh, doc, dot org, which is the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, older adults and food poisoning. Don, I'm just like this bothers me because it says here why are older adults more more vulnerable? It talks about immune systems uh, that are. Um, uh, uh, th- that are on the decline, but it doesn't say anything in here like about how to handle food to per- prevent listeria. Like it says things right. like, you know, turn off the lights because older adults might have trouble with glare. Right. It does. It does say learn more about safe food handling and the foods they should avoid. So there are there are links there, but yeah, it's not. Anyway, it's it's it, it it's okay. R- yeah, like refrigerate leftovers right away and reheat them to the proper temperature before eating. I don't know. I'm. It, it, maybe it's easy to punch holes in this stuff. Um, so and and I'll give you. Just I'm gonna since it's easy, I'm gonna do it again. Uh, <laughs> and there's uh, a, a post from last week. I, I you know I think about uh, World HIV AIDS uh, Day uh, about nutrition tips to keep immune system strong for people with HIV AIDS. They say one of their points is be vigilant about eating quote safe food because your immune system is weakened. You're more vulnerable to food poisoning. Follow tried and true rules for food safety to decrease your risk of getting sick. Don, what does that mean? Yeah, give me a link at least, right? If you don't want to put it yeah. in the article, that's fine. But, but boy, uh, yeah, avoid eating raw animal products. Okay, wash fruits okay, and vegetables. Check. Okay, uh, separate knives and cutting boards. Okay, don't drink water from lakes or rivers. Okay, water filter Are- at home. Okay, but water filters don't remove pathogens generally. Um, and what about refrigeration? If 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 I'm got a weakened immune system, the well, I guess I'm concerned about everything, not just listeria. But I don't know. It's uh, yeah, could be better. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know. It's, uh, so much to do, Don. So much to do. Um, but the, here, so when we look at institutional food service, do we have someone or a group of people out there from uh, using this information from FDA? Whether it's our state or local health departments, or whether it's um, you know someone else who's saying, you know what, here here's the lessons learned from this outbreak uh, in 2015. Um, maybe these folks shouldn't be eating ice cream or milkshakes, or let's look, take a look at our ice cream and milkshake makers. Like like that's the, so so this is great, awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. How do we take it so it's actionable? Yeah, like I, what I want to know is um, uh, how many hospitals have milkshake mixers, and then when you go and inspect them right now, what do you find? Right, like you yeah. find listeria. Do you? I mean, you you know, again, uh, that's what that's what I want to know. And and also, if there is somebody out there who is listening who has experience in institutional food service in hospitals. Please drop us a line. Let us let us know what you've seen. We do have people. Our, our listeners, Ben, our listeners are, are out there watching and, and reporting back. And so, if there is somebody out there with this background that can that can tell us what's it like, because I mean, you know, I don't know what it's like in that world, but 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 if you do have experience with that world and you want to tell us about it, we would love to hear. Absolutely. Um, before we move off of this, um, the going back to the bluebell. Um, uh, themselves. 
And you, you would think, and this is, again, I'm not a, um, a product sampling uh, expert and I'm not a environmental sampling expert as it relates to processing facilities. But wouldn't you think, Don, that if you had a robust product sampling program uh, and a environmental testing program, um, that you might you might find Listeria monocytogenes if it's in 99% of your product? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I, I'm not asking like a overly trite, stupid kind of question. No, but- no. What, what, what this data says to me is that Bluebell screwed up. They screwed up big time. There's no way that this should have happened if they were halfway competent in food safety. And they, they didn't and they're not, right? Or they weren't. So right. for sure, as I said just a few minutes ago, this is on them, right? I mean, it's it's a shame, and the hospitals uh, had a part to play in it, but but this is totally on them. This is uh, this is unacceptable. You cannot you cannot make, and this is this is why this is why we need, in my opinion, um, a uh, a non-zero tolerance for listeria in ready-to-eat foods that don't support the growth of the organism. Because if that was okay, if they had a tolerance. They would be no distance. Right now, there is a disincentive to the industry to test, right? The, yeah. the disincentive is if you find it, you must do a recall because there is a zero tolerance. And this is, this is to me, very compelling evidence that we need to do away with that. If the food does not support the growth, and we saw that most people that ate this ice cream were just fine, right? If the company had no disincentive, and again, I'm not letting Bluebell off the hook here, but I'm saying is if there was no disincentive to test, um, then they should be testing. They could. They would be finding it. They would be fixing it. And be- because yeah. there's a disincentive to test, they're going to like say, "Well, we're not going to test the product because then we might have to do a recall." So we're going to look. Uh, we're going to do an environmental sampling program, which is fine if you've got a good program. But if you've got a crap program, uh, you're not going to find it. And again, we're back to we're back to this outbreak. So. Uh, I just don't. I don't know. I'm going through this 483 again. The the that's the uh, nerd talk for the um, uh, in official inspection. I guess it's maybe not an inspection. It's like a event um, summary from FDA, um, and the the form being the FDA 483 form. And and there's just you know so, stuff in here that. That makes me like based on this information makes me question a lot more stuff. Like they highlight this is the response from Bluebell. Um, oh well, this is on the FDA's website, by the way. So it's so we know it's true. Mm. Um, it. Uh, I'll text you this one to Don, so we can have this in the notes. They talk about we talked about this last year uh, when it came out, but. They highlight bullet number one, environmental and product testing programs. We are reviewing and revising our environmental testing program to verify that our cleaning and sanitation programs are operating effectively. Once we resume operations, we intend to implement a finished product test and hold program on all of our products for a period. They don't say exactly what dates. It's redacted. Uh, We are also developing appropriate program for testing of incoming ingredients, blah, blah, blah. But... So as I read the between the lines, as they say on this, it means that there wasn't, you know, like you said, this there's a disincentive. There's not been a product testing uh, program here, and they have a 
an, another disincentive to actually find listeria in the environment because of that zero tolerance. I don't know. I'm coming to the I'm coming to the dark side of of no zero tolerance because you know I, this is where it's nice where we have like two hosts of the podcast don't don't agree on this, but the the way you made the case today, I'm uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards uh, a, a accepting like the fact that zero tolerance it means better. No zero tolerance means better public health. Of, yeah, I'm with you. It could. There. It could. It could. It could. And, yeah. and, and, and props to props to whoever posted this PDF because uh, the, um, the the part of the PDF that is um, actually um, redacted is actually redacted. <laughs> there was yeah. a uh, there was a uh, uh, I believe a PDF of related to another outbreak that was posted on the web as being redacted, but you could actually cut and paste um, the what was behind the uh, the black uh, redacted <laughs> part, and you could find out what was there. Not that I would have done that, um, and not that they haven't fixed it because they have fixed it. So, um, but yeah, anyway, that was that was fun. But this one, I, and I always check that now whenever I see redacted, I always try to cut and paste. But this one's actually really redacted. So yeah, it's like double so good, double so secret good, redacted. So, so good job. Yeah. So we'll Thanks. so we'll so we'll link to uh, Bluebell's uh, response. Um, and then we'll also link to the original FDA 483, which is what I found when I when I Googled it. So uh, yeah, so apparently uh, they they found some some stuff when they when they did their uh, inspection. So yeah, they did they did. Um, so hey, do you want to talk about? <laughs> there's something that caught my eye here. Yeah, that I don't know anything about. Um, and, I, and it's a, it, do you want to guess what it is? I, well, here's the thing, man. Um, it made I'm sure it made sense. At the time when I put it in the notes, but I don't know why I put it in here either. Oh, good. Well, what we're talking about here, hopefully we're talking about the same thing. I'm sure we are. Is edible dehydrated zebra Zebra tarantula. tarantula. Exactly. Um, So you can buy this on Amazon. Uh, Don Don printed this off uh, on November 28th, right in the midst of um, Thanksgiving, I I assume. Um, and uh, you could you could order it uh, and get it sent to you from Amazon. It uh, the description of this item can this can contains one edible dehydrated zebra tarantula. Uh, feature in details: no artificial flavoring, no artificial colors. Boiled and dehydrated. It's not fried because you don't want any of the fried zebra tarantula, do you, Don? No, that's bad stuff. Um, and uh, people who bought this also bought um, edible armor tail scorpions, edible smoked rattlesnake, uh, edible insects, a uh, bag of mixed edible bugs, sort of a, uh, a, a poo-poo platter of uh, bugs, uh, the grasshoppers, crickets, silkworms, sago worms, all the best worms. Um, and I, my guess is, my guess is um, – you uh, you put this in here because maybe dehydrating tarantulas might be a salmonella risk. <laughs> I don't really remember. Uh, also, I want to point out it is a great source of protein and also makes a great gift. So you know, just in time for your holiday shopping, uh, consider consider for that special person in your life uh, some uh, edible dehydrated zebra tarantula. <sighs> yes, you know our friend Michelle Daniluk asked us a question a while ago about uh, edible bugs and whether they would be. <laughs> So maybe this is where it came from. Whether they would fall under uh, a bug farm, would whether it would fall under the preventive controls uh, um, uh, rule. Um, also, uh, questions and answers for this. A question, are these organic slash organic fed or wild? Answer, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember? Do you, do you know? Question, are the spiders male? That's a feminist. I could never eat a female spider. 
<laughs> answer I did not check before eating. Oh, awesome. Do you know um do you know <laughs> so it's not labeled on the packaging. I have to wonder do you, if you eat meat of any sort, do you ask your butcher if the meat you're eating is male or female? Most chickens used for meat are female hens. Do you eat chicken? Perhaps you are a vegan. Uh if you're a vegan, you're not eating any spiders. Oh, no spiders. Do you know uh, uh according to IFT, insects, food of the future. Food of the future. <laughs> That's it. Do you know you know uh you know the movie Say Anything? You familiar with that? You I seen am. that movie? I am. You know hey, it's on the Netflix right now. Um and one of my favorite lines in any movie is kickboxing, sport of the future. John Cusack says that. Um uh, also, you know what's a good movie? <laughs> what's a good movie? Uh, it's, I don't know what it's called, but John Cusack's in it, and uh, it's about uh, like a jury oh, that's, that's no. sequestered. Oh, not My it, Cousin Vinny. That's a different no, movie. No, no. And it Cusack. doesn't have John Cusack in it. Cusack. Uh, jury. I think it's about the gun industry. And he uh, – Runaway Jury, it's called. All 2003 right. American Legal fil- uh, Thriller. Great, great lineup. Uh, John Cusack, Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, and Rachel Weiss. Mm. It's an adaptation of John Grisham's novel, The Runaway Jury. How about that? It's a great movie. You should check this one out. All right. Got it. Um, so, Cusack, Food of the Future. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got the tarantula. Um, <laughs> I think there's that's a show. There's, I think that's a show. There's other stuff here, but it's probably, it'll probably get us in trouble. Um, hey, so there you go. Food safety talk uh, number number one fourteen in the books. Boom. Uh, my, my my dog, who's been here most of the most of the day, only barked one time uh, during the show. So oh, uh, I did not. I did not hear your dog at all. Oh, a little bit of a, an Easter egg for the for the show listeners. Go back and find when my dog barked. Yeah, it's, it was very easy to tell when my dogs barked, but there's no dogs in my office today. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, cool. Well, we uh, are good to go, so let's call that a show. Uh, and I'll talk to you later, Don. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There we go.
Yeah, I was like, I saw the zebra tarantula thing when we first started, and I'm like, why did I put that there? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It was it's, it was it was over the holidays, and I must have been like looking at stuff on the internet. And uh, no, that was the 28th. That was uh, yeah, when was that? That was last know. week. That was Monday. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know why I put that in there, but there you go. Well, there you go. Oh, it was nine o'clock at night. I was oh, it was when I was you know it was it was when I was uh, yeah, uh, preparing for the meeting on Tuesday by oh. having a drink in the bar. I think. Yeah. Well, I was. That's good. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. But yeah, Michelle did ask us something about that, right? Something. Do you remember that? I, vaguely. Yeah. I don't know. Because whether they're a farm or not is the is the question was the question, right? Because right, they call right, themselves right. a farm, but yes, are they really, are they really a, farm? a farm? Yes. I'm glad that we don't have to really answer that question. <laughs> I'm glad that that's a that's an FDA question. That that we have folks like uh, Jenny Scott that can answer that. Um. So I think we should try to do a a very special um, Christmas uh, holiday show. Before, right. before the holidays. So so here's my here's my thing. Mm. My children are off school as of December fifteenth. Mm-hmm. So that means I am home and I'm not going anywhere the week of the nineteenth to the twenty third. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know what my like schedule is yet. So could we schedule um something for December nineteenth if you're available? Yes. And and then like flip it and i'll be home like we could even do an evening podcast if if we want to if you want to sure um but i might like i'm you know we might get to like the 17th and then decide that we're gonna go to the planetarium on the 19th or something oh i got it i totally got it yeah you know what i'm saying yep yep um so so why don't we like i'm i'm fully free that whole entire day or that entire week so why don't we just like hold the 19th whenever you're good yeah, so let's uh let's say um uh let's say in the um uh afternoon. So yep. let's let's say let's just pencil it in for like one to three and then we can uh we can figure out the details as it gets closer. Perfect. And that's one fifteen. Oh, did I say one fifteen? No 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 one fifteen, that's FSU. Oh, oh, oh yes, episode one fifteen, yeah. right. Yeah. That's uh that's how I categorize these Got things. It. Yep, I... yep, yep. There we go. At one o'clock, not nine a.m. Like I thought that we were going today. Yeah. I think what happened mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. I we were, I put it in my calendar at nine a.m. On well, it couldn't have been. It must have been like eleven a.m. two weeks ago, and that's why it showed up at nine a.m. Yeah. today. Yeah. But whatever. I had lot. I had lots of lots of openings. Um. Okay. So this one is yours. Let me know if you want my audio. Because I didn't have any lagging whatsoever. Uh, I'm sure. It'll, I'm sure it'll be. There was a little bit at when I guess when Danny was standing, but it should be fine. Okay. If it's if it's a problem, I'll uh, I can do it. Um. Got anything for after dark? No, I'm just looking. I'm looking through to see um, what might have triggered that particular um, uh, post, but I don't. I don't see it. So pro- probably probably somebody on Facebook putting something. I. I yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I could go back through my browser history and probably find it. So nice. That's. I just like that. Uh, Facebook is a good source for all things uh, um, entertainment-wise for us. 
Indeed. Indeed. Being very cryptic right now. Uh, hey, guess do you, do you know a chef's life? The TV show on PBS is that like a bug's life? It's like a bug's life, but with a chef. Um, <laughs> no, and it's a North it's a North Carolina chef, Vivian Howard. She she lives in Kinston. You should check out the show. It's actually okay. really good. Mm. Anyway, she's coming to give a public lecture on December fifteenth, and I'm organizing here at NC State. And she it's it's a really cool show. It's like it's on the PBS app on on the Apple TV. You can get all the like all the episodes are free. Cool. Do you have you you have the PBS get that PBS app? Uh, yes. What's the show called again? A Chef's Life. Cool. I will. Uh, it's we'll put it's a there. beautifully shot show. Oh, it looks gorgeous. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's really really cool. And go back. I mean, you got to start season one, episode one. Okay. Don't don't mess around with like. Don't start now. Okay. Got it. Let's go to the canonical half uh, character driven documentary and cooking series. Interesting. Yeah, I think you'll like it. Okay. All right. Well, I, yeah, it's not up to me, but <laughs> well, right, right now, right now we're watching, we're still watching Dirk Gently, which I think I talked about. And we're, yeah, we're gonna. It's it's on. Uh, we can rewatch it. So so it's very confusing. It's on. We're on the penultimate. We finished the penultimate episode, um, and looks like hopefully it'll be renewed for another season. And we got to go back to S one E one and start over to to make sense of all of it. So oh, I want to report. Um, so here are. Um, here are the, the 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 Google searches around that tarantula. Okay, so um, it, the University Biosafety Protocol Management System. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, secure checkout for the last bottle website that I order my wine from. <laughs> okay. Um, how the hell could we know? Ho- Kellogg hopeless at food safety and accountability barf blog. Okay. No okay. no spiders in that post. No spiders in that post. Next post: edible dehydrated zebra tarantula. Um, after that, uh, a Google search for "I did not know that." I don't know why. Um, and then, and then three searches for that. And then I knew John Kennedy, Senator Your No Jack Kennedy. Donald Trump does not understand how logic works. Um, and uh, yeah, real politics. You know, it might have been. It might have been. It might have been. I was listening to a podcast. I don't know. Maybe. Could could well be. So well, anyway, I didn't know that. It's a television show. That looks like a guy. It's not Jamie Oliver. Okay, all right. It's a British. It's a British show. It's a yeah. science show. You know, maybe what? it was. That. I think it. I think it was a podcast um, because because I do remember somebody talking about that that Kennedy quote, Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. Um, it was a reference in something. So yeah. Anyway, oh, the edible spiders. Good job. Well, there you go. That I I am um ex- I, I am. I'm glad I've never gone back to through my search history. <laughs> I rarely do, but sometimes it's useful to like find stuff. Um, so yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, things like uh, I'm just randomly on Friday. I was looking for Kim Roanoke 2007 botulism kimchi. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, Don. I think that's a show. Uh, Hey, I'll uh, talk to you in a couple weeks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.